welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Um, today we'll be reading 1 Samuel 9, 15 to 17, and also 1 Samuel 10, 17 to 27. And you can find that on the Church Bible on page 190. Um, it is such a joy to be here reading the Bible with you all today. Um, as Christians, we believe that is the, it is the true word of God. We believe that it is good um, yeah, for teaching and guiding us. It is where God speaks to us and it helps us grow in our understanding of him. Um, through it, we can hear God's word of grace and hope for our lives. And we are pointed to the saving worship of Jesus. Um, so yeah, we'll be reading 1 Samuel 9, 15 to 17 first on page 190. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the land of the Philistines. I have looked, in, I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And if you just, just jump to the right-hand side, um, Samuel 10, 17. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt and I declared from the, and I delivered you from the people of Egypt and the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, you, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot, and he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and the Matri's clan was taken. Finally Saul, son of Kish, was taken, but when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the, to the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among the, all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Saul was also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. And I, but some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and bought him no gifts, but Saul kept silent. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a God who speaks, a God who loves us, and a God who has revealed himself to us through your word. We pray now, Lord, as we dig into the scriptures, as we dig into 1 Samuel, we'll get a better understanding of who you are as our God, as our ruler, as our king, and we'll, and, and we'll be convicted to consider how we can be uh, more like your son Jesus, more, like, uh, more holy and, and, and repentant and obedient to your word. I pray for that now in your son's name. Amen. 
Uh, I keep hearing from people at church that uh, they've been playing this game called Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I keep meeting people who play it, and I've yet to be invited to play with them. It's, uh, I don't understand why they haven't invited me yet, David, but it's, uh, it's okay. You know, they're forgiven, um, but it was the type of game I loved playing when I was a kid. For those who are unfamiliar with Dungeons and Dragons, it's a role-playing game where uh, you don't even need a board on the table. You, it's a lot of talking, a lot of imagination, pencil and paper. Um, but you do need a dungeon master, so he's like a narrator. Uh, and then the players get to create characters. So you can create a, you know, you can be a wizard, or you can be a fighter, or an elf, or a dwarf, whatever. Which just means you'll excel at certain things more than others. So if you're a wizard, obviously you'll have better magic than a fighter. But you'll also be hugely disadvantaged if it's close combat in the story. You'll also be given attribute points, you know, across categories like strength and magic, dexterity, intelligence, so forth. And that'll determine your strengths and weaknesses. And then you start the game. So you create your character, and then you start the game, usually in a tavern, right? Because that's where you pick up missions, that's where you get to talk to locals about stuff that's going on in town. You're in a tavern. So you've got to imagine you're in a tavern, all your characters are there. Now, now D&D, Dungeons & Dragons fans can correct me later, but I, I recall that you make decisions on what you do as you go along in the story, right? Which is being narrated to you. So the narrator will ask you, the dun dungeon master, will ask you, um, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to the dragon's lair or the forbidden forest, right? And then you, you make a decision with your team. You go, let's go to the forest. So you enter the forest, the narrator says, okay, you've just been ambushed by a group of goblins, right? Do you run or fight? And you say, okay, let's fight. Okay, let's, together we're gonna fight. Okay, you fight. What attack would you like to do? Well, I'm a wizard, I'm gonna throw a fireball at the goblin. Roll the dice. You roll the dice, and it's a bad roll. The fireball misses the goblin. It's an unsuccessful attack. A goblin counterattacks, gives you an uppercut, successful hit. You lose 100 health points, you're dead. Right? That's sort of how the game goes. Are you following me? That's sort of how the game goes, right? Like, you, you, they're just, it's just turn-based, and you sort of make decisions as you go, and then you're dead. Well, sometimes, right? Uh, every action you take, you're, you're playing this game, every action you take, every decision you make, every roll of the dice will determine what happens next for you in the game. Now you can totally understand why that's really fun. Like I think that's really fun. That's the type of, the type of, stuff, that's the type of board game I like to play. Um, you, you've created a character and you don't know what's gonna happen next. It's really suspenseful. And every step of the way, you wonder what would have happened if I just made a different decision. If you decided to go a different route, choose a different weapon, where, where might that have led us? It's fun, isn't it? I mean, it, it, but it's fictional, <laughs> it's made up, but it's fun. And, but often at times when we play these games, we, we, we get to escape and we feel like we get to live another life. Sometimes life itself is really hard. And sometimes life itself uh, requires places to escape, like Dungeons and Dragons. You know, sometimes we go through life and it feels like a roll of the dice sometimes, doesn't it? You look back on the events in life and you wonder, what if I made a different decision? or took a different route, different actions, where would I be now? Where would I be today? What if I didn't go to university and study that degree or choose this career that I'm in? Would I be happier? What if I didn't cave into peer pressure in high school so I could fit in with that group of friends? Would I be the person I am today? What if I didn't go to that party or that gathering or that church? Would I have met my spouse that I'm married to now? If I tried a bit hard at learning that instrument, or studied a bit hard, or was more careful with my words at the time, or was a little bit more patient, would everything be different? Would, would I have still ended up 
here, sitting in these chairs at Providence Church on a Sunday morning? I don't know if you ever ask those questions, but I'll be honest, I ask those questions all the time. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? Surely you have too, right? Particularly if you're a Christian, surely you've reflected and asked, God, what am I even doing? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? Is this where you want me? Or is this like a game of Dungeons and Dragons where I've rolled the dice and ended up here? How is God at work? Today's narrative about this man Saul being chosen to be king really reveals to us a lot of God's character and how he's at work, how he operates, and how that changes everything for us and how we see our lives too in God's big story. Last week, if you were here, we heard about uh, we heard uh, we, we we heard a sermon from chapter eight in Israel. God's people, they're at this point in history of their nation. They never had a king before. They never had a human king to rule over them. Up to this point, they only had God as their king. That's a big deal, right? And so in chapter 8, they're asking God, God, we want a human king to rule over us. You know, we want to be like the other nations. They have a king. And so they go into battle with their king that, that leads them. We want that. That's what they're asking in chapter 8. Uh, and, and in doing so, what we hear from God is, well, they've rejected him. Because God was their king. Now they want a human king to rule over them and in doing so, rejecting God as their king. And so what we discover now in chapters 9 and 10, which is what we're looking at today and what uh, we read small parts of, uh, is really how the first king of Israel is chosen. This man called Saul, the rise of King Saul. That's what's happening in chapter 9 and 10. But before we get into chapter 10 and what uh, Addie read for us in the Bible, let me explain what happens in chapter 9. Let's have a bigger context. Uh, we didn't have time to read it all, but I'm going to give you some snapshots of what happens in chapter 9 as we're introduced to this man, Saul. So you need your Bibles. It'll be really helpful if you have them open in front of you, chapter 9 and 10, uh, because this is where I'm going to be referring to. I'll have it on the screen, I think, as well. So each time I have a Bible reference, it should be on the screen. Chapter 9, verse 1, though, says this. There was a Benjamite. A man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. I'm going to stop there. This, this, this could be a good introduction to Farmer Needs a Wife, right? We got this guy, Saul, whose father's name is Kish, who is a man of standing. He's a farmer, uh, but he's... he's He's, he's a man of standing, so it sounds like he's very well respected. He's probably got lots of money, a wealthy. Um, but not only is he from a wealthy family, we're told Saul is handsome, like hot. All right? We're, we're talking Ken and Barbie, you know, hot like those. Uh, if you guys ever watch Korean dramas, you sort of watch it and you're like, wow, how can people be so good looking? Like it's got to be, it's got to be fake, right? No one else in the nation is as good looking as Saul. And what's really unfair, really unfair, is that he's also really tall. Isn't that unfair? Come on, being tall and handsome. We all don't get to be tall and handsome. That's so unfair. He's tall and handsome. It's funny, tall and handsome. Those were the first two attributes Heidi said to me that she was looking for in a guy when I first met her. <laughs> but isn't it interesting, right? That's what she got. That's what the Bible... <laughs> I'm joking. I'm not tall. But it's interesting, isn't it? Um, that's what the Bible wants us to know about this man. This really good-looking man. Now, let me summarize what happens, right? Oh, we're already seeing that this man is, is a good candidate to be a king, right? He, he's tall and handsome, 
Israel's going to click, you know, follow and subscribe. You know, that's the type of person he is. Now, let me summarize what happens through chapter 9. His dad owns a farm. There are donkeys on the farm. The donkeys go for a wander. Who's going to look for them? Better call Saul. Saul goes on a road trip looking for these lost donkeys with one of his servants. All right, so he's on a journey to look for uh, these lost donkeys. They search far and wide. From chapter 9, verse 4 and 5, we're told they go through all the hill country of Ephraim to Shalisha, to Shalim, through Benjamite territory, this is what it says, onto the district of Zuth. And it just sounds like, really, that he's just going everywhere. And he's just trying to find where these donkeys are. And it sounds like he doesn't know where he's going. He's a bit directionless, just going from city to city, everywhere. It just sounds a bit ridiculous. Uh, you know that John Travolta meme is just like, looking for this donkey. Uh, if you don't know, that's okay. But it's, he's looking for this donkey. He's confused. He doesn't know where these donkeys are. In verse 5, uh, he tells his servant, it's time that we should go back. I think they're, they're not going to be worried about the donkeys. They're going to be worried about us next. So we should probably head back. Let me summarize what happens. The servant says to Saul, his servant says, hey, there's a prophet in the nearby town. Let's go ask him where these donkeys are before we give up. Saul says, I have no money. I have no gifts to give to this prophet. If, I, if we ask for advice, ask for him uh, directions. The servant says, hey, look, I've got, I've got a, a silver coin in my pocket. Let's give this to him. Saul says, okay, let's go. So they make a decision. He rolls the dice. He goes to this town. On the way to the town, he meets these young women coming out to draw water from the well. Saul asks them, do you know this prophet? They say, yeah, he's in town. You should go. Hurry up. He's, he's there now. You'll run into him. Great. Everything's working out for Saul. So he's going into this town. They enter. They meet Samuel, the prophet the one they're looking for. Outcome achieved, mission accomplished. Now, so what? Right? <laughs> I mean, it, it's not the most entertaining, engaging, edge of your seat narrative, is it? But that's what he does. He looks for donkeys, and then he finally meets Samuel. It's actually, it feels really random, doesn't it? All these details I just gave you, what I just shared with you, sounds a bit random. Saul looking for his donkeys. But let's keep following this thread. At the start of chapter 10, he's anointed by Samuel which is like a, a recognition that he's set apart, he's chosen to be the king. Samuel recognizes who this man is and anoints him with oil and sets, his, sets in, you know, in a very private setting, sets him aside to be king. And we're told from chapter 10 onwards that he's, uh, he goes out and he, uh, he, he, he goes to this town where he prophesies and prophesying with the, the spirit of God upon him, which is really an approval or recognition that, he's, um, that God is with him. Right? That's what happens in the beginning of chapter 10. Then he goes home, okay? So I'm just giving you a quick rundown of the narrative. Then he goes home, right? So he's looking for donkeys, meets Samuel, gets anointed, starts prophesying, and then he goes home. He goes home, and I'm going to read from verse 14, because it's quite interesting what, ha what, he, what happens here. Chapter 10, verse 14, on the screen as well. He comes home, Saul's uncle sees him, and asks him and his servant, Where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys had been found. Cool. But he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Right? So Saul just hides this little fact that he just gets told and anointed by Samuel that he's going to be the first king of Israel, that the Spirit of God comes upon him, that he's chosen by God to rule over the nation, but mm, he's just... Just, just decided to hide that bit of information from his uncle. Perhaps he was a bit fearful, a bit uncertain, so he decides to just keep it to himself for now. Maybe Samuel just made a mistake. Maybe he's just, this was just all a dream. But that's not the only hiding he does, is it? The big day comes. 
Samuel's, Samuel, the prophet, he gathers the people, the nation of Israel together, and publicly, publicly announces the king, right? Who the king is, and that's what we read today, right? That chunk from verse 17 uh, to 27. All right, let me read it again from verse 20. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Thanks for reminding us about that. He's tall and good looking. What is this guy doing? What is Saul doing? Uh, some of you uh, might have caught the coronation of the king on TV a few weeks ago. No, some of you, yes. Um, king Charles, right? He, he was the coronation of King Charles. It was a grand event. Huge processional, people dressed in royal robes. King Charles himself dressed in gold, uh, sat on a big throne holding two scepters with the, the St. Edward's crown placed on his head. The crown I read was 22 karat gold with 444 gemstones on it, uh, two and a half kilos. Just a little bit excessive, in my opinion, but it was a big event, a big monumental event, the coronation of a king. But here we are at the coronation of King Saul, the first king of Israel. No crown, no grand processional, no horse and carriage, no golden robes or scepters, just a, oh, just a really good-looking man hiding amongst the bags. It's, it's a bit odd. It's, it's laughable. It doesn't seem very kingly of him to be hiding, right? He, he tries to hide stuff from his uncle, but now he's trying to hide from, from God and the people. And you know what they wanted? They wanted a king. The people wanted a king to go out and fight their battles before them and lead the nation to victory. A mighty king who will be confident and courageous. But this guy, he seems a bit more clueless and cowardly than he is confident and courageous, doesn't he? Yet even, though, yet even though that all happens, he walks out from behind the backs and the people see him and they cry out in blissful joy, long live the king. See, chapters 9 and 10 really here are, for us, are really here for us to paint a picture for us about how this farmer who's trying to find his donkeys finds himself as king over a kingdom. And the question remains for us, where is God in all of this? What is he doing? Is this where he wants Saul to be? Here's what we know, right? Chapter 9 tells us about this random story of Saul looking for donkeys, then meeting Samuel. If I was Saul, I'd be thinking, how did I even end up here being crowned as king when all I wanted to do was find my dad's donkeys? But we know something Saul doesn't. And we read it earlier, didn't we, in chapter 9, verse 15 to 17. The day before Saul came, Chapter 9, verse 15 to 17. The day, now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. See, when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. You see what's going on? 
what's going on behind the scenes, from donkeys that go wandering to the moment Saul meets Saul in, uh, Samuel meets Saul in town, God is at work, leading and guiding Saul to the destination and where he wants him to be. And all these random details that I told you about are there to show us that, that God was leading Saul to his destination, from traveling to town to town, a servant that happened to have a silver coin in his pocket, a great suggestion as well, to young maidens drawing water out from the well, directing Saul in the direction, in the right direction, to someone who can help him find his donkeys. All of that orchestrated by God for his purposes and plan. God is sending Saul to Samuel so Saul can be anointed as Israel's king. In church and in Christian language, I guess, we call this God's providence. And that idea of providence is where our, our church gets its name from as well. It means God governs all things towards his good purposes and end and for his glory. The good and the not so good, all directed, governed and guided by God's good providence and sovereign plan. Now, providence is no easy thing to grasp, is it, or understand. There is mystery in it. Uh, things that only God knows, and we can't. But we do need to understand that providence doesn't mean we're just puppets either. We're not puppets at God's push and pull. The, the mystery of providence is that he's working in and through all things, while we too have that free agency to make genuine decisions and actions in life. It's not also just foreknowledge that he, he knows what will happen, that's foreknowledge. It's not that he just knows what will happen, but more than that, he, he works in and amongst it and through it. The Bible is very clear. God's providence and governance, governance is at work through the daily decisions and actions of the world. And so you've got um, passages like this in Proverbs 16 verse 9. It says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So both, both and is happening. We're making real decisions, we're planning, and God is already establishing it, establishing our steps. Acts 17, as well, in the New Testament, it says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. That's God's involvement in the world. God is in control. And that's what we can learn as well from this story about Saul. We read about Saul, and he's like the main character, but really? Because there's someone else working behind the scenes. Now Saul, yes, he still rules as king. He's still appointed as king. But we have a God who's the king over the universe that's in control of what happens from lost donkeys to finding Samuel. We see his sovereign control through his providence here in these chapters. And that's one attribute that I wanted to share with you guys from this chapter. But that's not the only attribute of God we see on display. What we also see is the grace, love, and care that he has for his people. Think about what happened. Chapter 8 last week, the people asked God for a king. In doing so, they rejected God. God warned them, they don't really know what you're, you don't really know what you're asking for. If you ask for a king, that king will just take and take and take. But they said, no, we still want a king. God said to Samuel towards the end of chapter 8, he says, so be it. Give them a king. We feel that rejection, don't we? We feel it at the rejection, uh, that rejection at, at Saul's coronation, chapter 10, when Samuel gathers the people. I didn't read it earlier. Let me read it now. He gathers the people 
And, you know, you'd think he'd say something really welcoming, like, hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first coronation of the king of Israel. It's such a special occasion as we welcome this first king, this handsome, tall guy to rule our nation. None of that. It's none of that. Samuel starts off with condemnation. Verse 18, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, no, appoint a king over us. He draws lots, the lot falls on Saul, which God had already set apart. Where's Saul? Looking for donkeys. Well, like, like he was looking for donkeys. He's nowhere to be found. He's lost too. So who do they turn to? Who do they ask? They ask God. God, where is Saul? God tells them Saul's hiding over there in the bags. He's brought before the people. 24, verse 24, Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? Do you see, what, like, do you see what's going on? It's so funny because they reject God, yet they're still so dependent on him. So much so that they need God to find and give them the leader they want to reject him for. They're so desperate for God not to be their king, they overlook this little fact that this good-looking tall guy is actually a little bit clueless and a little bit cowardly. But God, in His mercy and grace, gives them what they want. And don't we see His tender heart for His people? Even if they reject Him, He's the one who will provide for them, care for them, govern them, fight and win their wars for them. You know, if I was God, it would only be right to reject them in return, right? Uh, these, this, this obstinate people. But he doesn't leave them. He doesn't forsake them. He takes care of them, even by providing a king to rule over them, King Saul. You see, the beauty of God's providence is that sometimes we're not always going to know why or what God is doing in our lives. These people think they can avoid God, but they're kidding themselves, aren't they? If they can escape, they're thinking they can escape his rule. He is always present and in control of the outcome. God is on his throne, even if the people choose to reject him and put a man like Saul in his place. And while we might not always understand it, and while there, we live in a world there are terrible evils, things like, things like sickness and death and unfathomable injustices that occur, will we still trust that God has a plan, that he's still sovereign and in control? Will we be, able to humble, will we be humble enough to acknowledge we can't see the full picture of what's going on? And that, like Saul, sometimes we're just in the moment looking for our donkeys. That we're in this moment in life, and this is precisely, precisely where God wants and has planned us to be. And if we believe that to be true, will we continue to walk in step with Him? I know it's hard to, 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 to take hold of this idea of providence. Because it means we have to accept that bad things happen... And the God who is in control allowed it to happen. And we struggle to hear that, don't we? We struggle to, to hear that we have to trust Him, even if our whole world has been shaken up. Now, don't hear me wrong. Cry out to Him, you know, question it. Call out to Him. He listens. He, he invites us to pray and cry out to Him. But we do also have to accept that we live in a broken world that, is, that has sin, that there is evil, and that we too ourselves will play a part in the brokenness in and around us. Bad things do happen while at the same time believing that God is still sovereign and in control. The easy thing to do is just to reject God like Israel does. The easy thing is to, is to just dismiss Him. And we play that card right. Well, if God is good and powerful, 
and there's still evil in the world, then either God isn't good or he isn't powerful. We hear that all the time, don't we? But what if the answer is that both is true? There is evil that happens in the world, and God is in control, and he is powerful. And that the answer really lies in ourselves being finite, limited. We have limited understanding, and we might not know what God's plans are. Perhaps we need to instead see how God has worked in history. And perhaps we need to dig a bit deeper into his character and understand his providential power as well as his tender loving care even in a world where so much injustice and evil exists. Because when you start digging and when you start looking at the scriptures and in history and how God has worked, you'll see the greatest injustice of all fell upon God himself. When Jesus entered our world, the one who had no sin, who did no wrong, In fact, he came to love the broken, to serve the poor, to heal the sick, to bring forgiveness to God's enemies, to sinners. Yet even in his innocence, he was accused, condemned, treated unfairly. He experienced evil, injustice, and sin at the hands of the very people he came to save. Friends, God knows our pain. He is fully aware of the injustice and misery and brokenness that we all see and experience. Yet it was through his appointed King Jesus, our Christ, who was rejected, murdered, and crucified on a Roman cross by his very own people, that God was accomplishing his providential plan and purposes. Peter, one of the apostles of Jesus, said it in a sermon to the crowds in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. He said, This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. The good and the bad, they're not outside of God's control. It was in his plans that evil and injustice would befall his very own son. He allowed that to happen. He doesn't do evil, but he allows the evil to happen. So that, through his sacrifice, many lives could be saved. While providence is one of God's attributes, the grace and love of God was magnified even more, wasn't it? We see his love magnified at the cross of our Lord Jesus for all of humanity. It was when Jesus died, when he rose again three days later, that death and sin and Satan were defeated. Giving us, you and I, the the very ones who rejected God as our king, a reconciled relationship with him. The greatest gift we could receive. God is on the throne, in control. And when we might be questioning what is God doing in our lives or in our world, it would do well for us to be reminded of the words in Romans 8, 28. And we know, I think we got this and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Hold on to that. Romans 8, 28. We can trust him. We can walk in step with him. We don't need to roll the dice. Pursue a life that loves him, loves one another, loves our world. Because God has a plan, and we can trust in all things God works for our good, according to his purpose. That's what his providence is all about. Working all things out for his glory and our good. Now, some might be struggling at the moment. Others might be celebrating. Many of us might not understand how we got here, and what God might be doing in our lives. Some might be questioning past decisions and actions, and the what-ifs of life. What if I did this? What if I did that? But even so, today I want to remind us 
we can trust that if we proceed in faith and love, in trusting our lives to God, God will work all things out for our good, for his people, just as he already has in the gospel of Jesus. Will you look back and see that all the good God has done for you? And will you look forward in faithful hope that God has everything already planned out for our good? You know, the coronation of King Charles was really a grand event. But at the same time, what was happening while that was happening was there were actually a lot of protesters in the streets of London who weren't so supportive. Many who lined the streets screaming out, Not my king! While others who were supportive were screaming out against them, God save the king! I don't know where you stand and I don't really care much myself, but I hear that and I think, isn't that just so reflective of our humanity? That there will always be division, always be opposing views, and there will always be people who stand against the king and the rulers over us. At the end of chapter 10, in Saul's coronation, some people cried out, long live the king. They were so supportive of him. Others not so much. Others muttered amongst themselves saying, can this guy really save us? And it's not so different too when it comes to the world's view on our Lord Jesus. In God's providence, many will come to believe in Jesus, that he truly can and has saved us, that he is the eternal king enthroned in the heavens. Others though will scoff at that idea, the idea of this man calling Jesus fictional, calling his resurrection ridiculous and the Christian faith as rubbish. But for the people in this room, you're here. And you've heard today about a king who died for you. A God who is powerful, sovereign, providentially in control. Who also loves, who also loves and, and is graciously generous and life-giving to you and I. What are you going to do with that? That information? Shake it off as, as coincidence? Just a roll of the dice in the game of life? Or will you take action? Will you entrust your life to him? Will you consider what it looks like to obey him? Have him enthroned over your decisions and your actions, putting one step in front of the other in the direction where God is calling you to by faith. Will you let him lead you and reign over your story, your narrative, because he's the true and rightful king? I'm going to pray that for us now. Whether you're a Christian or you're here seeking answers, learning about Jesus, I invite you to join me in your hearts to pray that we'll choose to live in faith under this, under this great King, our Savior Jesus. Let's pray now. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, our King, the one who laid down his life for us in love and mercy, in grace and compassion. May you help us see your work behind the scenes in our lives, that you are the God of providence, who even in a world of, of sin and pain and injustice continues to be at work guiding all things to your good purposes and according to your plan, just as you, just as you have done in the gospel of Christ. Uh, may we trust in that truth about, about who you are, putting our faith in your rule and reign over our lives in repentance and obedience uh, as a people who have been saved by a generous and gracious King. It's in his holy name we pray. And together, God's people said, Amen.